0: Welcome to the Digital Thoughts Podcast. My name is Zan Sayed, and I am a pharmacist turned product manager. I have almost 10 years of clinical experience in oncology, ranging from inpatient all the way to outpatient. My goal with this podcast is to bring people from all sides of the conversation together so that we can learn from each other and build a better healthcare system. In this podcast, we discuss everything digital health from the people to the products. If you do enjoy what you listen to, please consider giving this podcast a five star rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It really does help a lot. Thank you very much, and let's get into the episode. This is a very special episode. Episode number 51. We were trying to make it episode number 50, but um, it's all right, we're close enough, right? Um, Alex was the first person on the podcast. This is something I hope I can do with more people that have been guests on my podcast, is to follow their journey and see how far they've come. It's great to see people succeed in this space, especially good people like Alex and his team. The things that they're creating are truly great. And when you talk to the team, you can tell that they truly understand the root cause of the issues in healthcare. In this episode, we talk about why are they trying to augment, not replace clinicians? What is NABLA Co-Pilot and how it saves clinicians time? What it takes to build and maintain a large language model for healthcare? How Nabla is using product led growth to grow? And what questions should you, as a customer, be asking AI companies when you are evaluating them? I hope you guys enjoy this episode as much as I did. Hey, Alex, how are you doing?
1: Hey, thanks. very, very good. Thanks.
0: Yeah, welcome back. You were the first guest on the podcast, so I appreciate you uh, circling back with us.
1: Yeah, I'm very happy to be back for a second episode.
0: Yeah, I know. I'm really excited about this. Uh, I mean, a lot has changed since the last time we spoke, but uh, for those that may not have heard the first episode, uh, do you mind giving us a little background about you?
1: Uh, sure. So I've been working on, on AI assistants for 21 years after I discovered the chatbots a long time ago. Uh, So I did a first chatbot company called Virtuos uh, that we sold to Nuance Communications in 2012. Uh, After that, I did a second AI company that was acquired by Facebook in 2015. I spent four years with Facebook AI Research working on very, very interesting um, uh, AI assistants. And then I left Facebook four years ago with a small team of engineers uh, to try to apply this research to uh, healthcare, and, and in particular, to try to build AI assistance for uh, physicians.
0: Yeah, and then uh, I remember the last time we were talking, we were really going down this AI assistant route, because at the time, and it's still kind of a, a, a trend right now is people are looking ways to replace uh, certain members of staff in the medical community, uh, whether for, all the way from doctors, all the way down to like, you know, nurse, nurses and uh, people answering the phone calls, but you guys are taking a different route to it you know, the AI assistant route, uh, why is that?
1: So I think like many people, when I started in AI, I, I wanted to just build autonomous AI and replace humans. We were you know, young and <laughs> 21 years ago. Um, and it's interesting because the more we worked on that, the more I realized that it was not neither possible nor a good thing to try to replace most humans with, with bots. Um so my first startup was in customer service. And so the question was, you know, should we replace the customer rep or not? And I think it, it's a bad idea. Uh, first, the AI, even with LLMs and everything is not fully ready to do that uh, in most, in, in interesting cases. You know, there, there may be edge cases where it can be made, but, um, and, and then people still expect like empathy from the companies they are talking to. Uh, they expect the person to be able to make special exceptions or decisions. That a machine cannot make, uh, and so uh, the more we worked on chatbots twenty years ago, the more we I became convinced that we should work on AI to uh, augment and assist people in their job uh, instead of just trying to replace them. In, in the general case, uh, I, I mean, and so this is um, the angle we've chosen from scratch at Mabla, uh, and we actually started spend the, f- the first few years of the company. Uh, interviewing hundreds of physicians, visiting hospitals, attending to actual consultations, to 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 realize by ourselves how we can really be helpful to uh, to physicians and, and healthcare professionals.
0: Yeah, I mean, and um, I mean, you have a lot more experience than I think many people that are jumping into the AI, the AI world, a chatbot world. I mean, you have twenty plus years of experience, and I think that I hope that people listen to you and because especially in medicine, empathy is super important, right? Like imagine going to a doctor, right? I think it's easy for somebody like, oh yeah, you know what? We'll just replace this or we'll do this. We'll make this automated. But you know, when it's you or your family member or whatever, getting a text saying, hey, you have cancer. I mean, do any of us really want that?
1: Absolutely not. And uh, everybody will relate to what you say. And um, yeah, if if you look at the way doctors work today, um, they, they are some of them are lacking empathy because they are overwhelmed with administrative tasks like like typing on a computer, filling some forms, you know, filling the patient record, and so on. A long list of things they hate to do, and so the, the so the, the right that's why we decided that the right goal for us should be to remove this part of their job, the the admin part, uh, so that they have enough time and and and. Uh, and attention to be actually empathetic and care about the patients which actually they love to do and this is the reason why in many cases they chose to study medicine in the first place
0: yeah 100 percent. i think that that's lost in the burnout conversation a lot as people think that um a lot of uh, clinicians are burned out because they're seeing too many patients or all that stuff it's really not i mean in my experience it's not that right we know we knew going in you're going to see patients. I mean, that is what it is. They're going to ask you questions what, you know, whatever. Some are going to be great. Some are going to be not that great. But it's all the other stuff that um, that we were never taught in school. We we're never told in school, you know, chasing down insurance companies, all these things. And you just don't have time to think. And, you know, you go into a patient's room wanting to be 100 percent present, but you have 30 other things waiting on you. And I'm sure everyone's been to a doctor's office where somebody knocks on the door and be like, hey, uh, can you come out here real quick? Because there's always things constantly going on and things are, and they're not always uh, patient related. They're just random things going on.
1: Yeah, absolutely. We doctors have a huge mental uh, load, you know, overload. And if you, if somebody can remove this load from their uh, mental state, everything they do, then they will be more productive. So we maybe see more patients or spend more time with every patient or both as uh, they will sleep better. They will feel happier. And uh, eventually it's, it's good for everyone. Um, so we, after almost two years of observing, we, we decided our mission at Nabla should be to remove this mental overload, uh, fr- from doctors and then good things will, uh, will happen.
0: Yeah. 100%. I think that, um, I mean, the last time we spoke, uh, you guys had, you guys were creating the AI assistant where it was, um, you know, they could ask the question about the patient, like, hey, what, what do we see all this? And, you know, it was giving you answers, you know, kind of summarizing the visit, right? It wasn't giving any clinical, it wasn't like saying like treat them like this, but it was giving you relevant information, which is really valuable, especially when you're going into the clinic. But you guys have now moved on a little past that and creating uh, a dictation, uh, note dictation thing. Do you, you want mind talking about that a little bit?
1: Sure, so, so it's not, it's really not dictation. I think dictation is something from, from the past now. Um, it's what we call technically ambient AI. So ambient meaning that it's listening to, to the ambient sound uh, and typically the a conversation between a healthcare professional and their patient. And so uh, we don't ha- ask physicians to dictate into a microphone. We just listen to what they say to the patient and what, what the answers from the patient and so on. And from this, we have inf- enough information to generate the clinical documentation, write the referral letter, generate the, the insurer claim, uh, write specific instructions for the patient, trigger an order for lab tests. Or, you know, so really the, the, the new generation of dictation, I'd say it's not explicit dictation. Uh, it's okay, we know the AI knows what to write because we capture this information from the context. That, that's why it's called uh, ambient. And so we, this is a product we, um, we, we do today. Um, it's a very, for an in-person consultation, you as a physician, you know, put your phone on the table in the exam room, press start when the consultation starts and um, it will capture the, the audio. We don't record it, but we capture the audio. And at the end of the consultation, you press complete. And 10, 20 seconds later, all the clinical documentation has been uh, generated and uh, filled into the, the electronic health record. Uh, so we integrate with the different uh, EHRs you can, you, you can use. Uh, and so it really removes this. So some, some physicians save five, six, seven, eight minutes at the end of each consultation because they don't have to do this thing again
0: yeah that's uh that sounds super exciting i would uh, i i think that's amazing because I, I don't think people realize how much uh, time is spent documenting um and so how does so so uh just just for people to understand more clearly so like you you get a you get an app on your phone and you put it on the desk right and then how does it know uh who is talking
1: uh so it's it it knows from uh, semantically who is talking so it doesn't try. This is the power of, of modern uh, generative AI. It doesn't even try to decide who is a patient, who is a doctor, but wh- from what is said, um, the system model is able to to extract the, the information and use it in the correct way. Very okay, cool. Uh, so, is there is somewhere in the layers of this huge model, neural network something that probably decides who is a patient, who is a doctor, but it's not an explicit Outside layer or feature, uh, and so we don't have access to, to, to that. It's, it's very interesting because when we did machine learning, uh, you know, even five years ago, we had to queue lots of small models, doing every model was doing one thing, and you have to make this kind of thing explicit. The new approach is like it's more and more to have a huge end-to-end model that that you know has everything internal. And this kind of decision is internal and we don't have access to it.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, that's, I mean, that, I, and I think the, and then the other thing is you mentioned that, um, so you don't record the audio, I'm assuming that's probably for legal reasons or something but I don't, we don't need to get into that, but it's transcribing everything, right? So after it's transcribing all that, so does it summarize it, summarize it into all those documents or you, do you get a physical copy of the transcription and the summary? Uh,
1: um, yeah, so we we don't even keep the, the transcription unless the, the physician are, wants to keep it. But the transcription, you know, word by word of what has been said, is typically not kept. And um, and then we, we yes, we generate a, like a SOAP note if you want a SOAP note. So we have different templates of notes because I never met two physicians who agree on what is the best way to uh, document. So we have to propose lots of options uh, and learn then for, from every physician. But uh, typically the default uh, template is a SOAP node, so, so you have the you know, subjective, objective and assessment and plan part, and so we typically you would have a, a summary of what the patient said in the in the first part, in the subjective part, uh, and so on. And again, we don't do uh, diagnostics, we don't take medical decisions, it's not even a, a decision support tool, uh, so the, the, the assessment and plan will be just what the physician uh, told the patient, and we will document what what the decision of the physician we are not trying to uh to, to to be better than 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 a healthcare professional at this kind of thing. We are just documenting formally with the right uh, the right word the right coding and like like i c d ten codes for instance uh w- what the physicians are 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 saying like like a scribe like a medical scribe would do
0: very cool how long did it um i know that uh, uh... Historically, training uh, these models on medical jargon and medical data has been difficult. How did you guys kind of? Um, how did you guys accomplish that?
1: Uh, so we it took three years for us to to collect enough data. First, uh, this kind of data set with a consultation audio recording and transcript and notes does not exist. Actually, it's extremely sensitive data um and so we had to build this data set uh you know slowly and painfully <laughs> and it's also very expensive you have to pay uh, physicians <laughs> to partner uh, with us and you ha- we have to ask patient consent one by one uh so we it took us three years and three countries uh us uk and france to to get that and start to train the the models we even uh, if you remember the last episode we even started uh, the first year of the company as a, as a direct consumer uh, virtual primary care app because it, it was the only way to get started somewhere and by being our our own users our own customer uh, having our physicians sitting next to us at the same table you know engineers physicians sitting together it was the only way to bootstrap this uh, like chicken and egg problem where you don't have data so you don't you don't have a tool but you have, you don't have a tool you don't have customers so you don't have data and, and so on. So we we had to stop there.
0: Yeah, and I hope everyone's listening to this, and you know, because I think there's a lot of steps that get missed when people are talking about AI and healthcare, right? I mean, for you guys, you guys had built in that, you know, you had started with the virtual clinic, and you had built in like physicians, customers, all that. So it still took you three years, right? And you guys were just focused on that. You knew, I mean, you have a you have experience in it. You knew what you needed, and it still took you guys three years. And I think people forget that you can't just grab an LLM off of a website and just throw it in a medical app. It's not going to work.
1: I mean, it, it, it works well enough to raise a seed around or, or, or to impress your friends. <laughs> Meaning you can do a demo with LLM. Uh, you, can, you can make maybe MVP, but it, that looks, especially to non-physicians, will look like something that is working. But then definitely you're right. you you'll be far, far away from an actual medical product that you, you can use. Uh, first, it won't be uh, compliant at one thing, but then it won't be, the accuracy won't be good. And as you know, uh, physicians have a very, very high expectations in terms of accuracy. If you're below a very high threshold, you, you just try it once and then you're, you're disqualified forever. And and so we had to reach this this threshold uh, before adoption started to uh, accelerate. Uh, and, you, and you cannot do that with out-of-the-box. LLMs alone, you you need at least uh, to to complement these with your own models. Um, so yeah, that that's that's um, but that, that's a weird situation because it's still easy to do demos, and so the the market looks very very crowded and and and, and messy, and so sometimes our, our our clients are a little bit lost on this market. Um, but yes, there is a big difference between a demo and a, and an industrial product.
0: Yeah, I mean, and one thing is if you if you if you're if you're an AI company, right, and you're coming to them and be like, "Hey, we're going to save you time." But it but if they have to edit the note, let's say like, you know, it's it's your like you got a competitor to you guys, right? But they have to still keep editing the note, are you really saving us time at that point? Not really. Like even if we have to go in knowing that okay, maybe really, maybe you're like 85, 90% accuracy. That still means 10% of the times you're wrong. So me as a clinician is going to check every single note to make exactly. sure that everything is okay. So it's really, maybe it's, instead of saving me like all my time, it's maybe saving me like some of my time.
1: Yeah. Yeah, the biggest problem with uh, if accuracy is not really, really high, is you, you still need to remember what, what, what has been said during the consultation. And you maybe even need, still need to take notes and so, to, just to 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 correct the mistakes uh, of the tool, and so if if you have to do that, then the, the whole promise of the tool is, is collapsing, because what what our users love today is they don't need to take any notes, they don't even have a screen, uh, you know, they have a screen on the side, not in the, in the middle between them and the patient, and this is the the most important thing in the promise. And so, if they still have to take notes because accuracy is not good enough, uh, then it doesn't work uh, anymore and um also in terms of accuracy for this kind of application you really want high precision it's okay if recall is not perfect but you want high precision so if you're not in, in uh, into machine learning precision is pr- good precision is you don't add things that are not relevant like invent new things like hallucinations something elements are really uh, <laughs> it's are really uh, capable to do uh, and recall is A good recall is uh, everything you had to capture in the consultation, you put in the note, but maybe you put more. And so in this application, it's okay to miss something. I mean, it's it's better to not miss anything, but you can leave with you miss some information, but something in the plan that the physician didn't say, that you add in the plan it is really, really uh, very dangerous and very wrong. And so in this application you want very high precision uh, and if you need to choose you can you can lower the, the recall uh and um that, that's very important and it's hard to if you use a public lm this is the kind of thing you don't have control over and so this is, this is an, an another example of the limitation
0: yeah no that's very interesting and then uh you had mentioned like um so llms also like these models are uh, some are more prone to hallucinations some not but like there that is another thing that you know you have to keep up right like dealing with the hallucinations so how uh and you don't have to talk about what you guys I mean how how does somebody approach that like you know when you're creating an AI company or whatever like I think some people also forget like you need to keep it you need to there's a there's still upkeep like how do you guys um do that
1: uh, so first you, you need a very good framework to be, ev- to be able to just measure what's happening which is not obvious uh you know in, in some software you have a binary signal it works or it's broken or it works it's zero or one uh, but when you generate uh something in natural language it's very hard to measure like like for trans- automatic translation system you know there are specific scores yes yeah, specific metrics like blue called blue in machine learning because it's very hard to—it's a problem by itself to how to measure the quality of, of a translation. Same, you know, in the same way, two humans may disagree on what is the best translation in French and this sentence in English. And so, it's not a binary, purely uh, subjective. Uh, it's not a purely objective uh, problem. So we have the same issue that uh, again we may change something and it will generate a note, and some physicians will say it's better than before, but the other group will say no, it's not better. And so uh, you, need, but you, you need to make decisions. You cannot improve a system if you don't have a metric at the end tell, telling you if you go up or down. And that by itself, uh, it's, a, it's a big problem that machine learning companies uh, must solve uh, and, and have a very uh, efficient way to measure this metric. Because let's say a new LLM comes out tomorrow, like there is a, you know, and you, should you switch or not? You cannot just make a few try on your keyboard and make a decision. You have dozens of tens of thousands of physicians using your product every day. Will you, will you switch or not? You really need a very strong framework to, to be able to make this kind of uh, decision. Um, so whether you use outside the labs or, or train your own or fine tune, you need this uh, framework of uh, evaluation framework and kind of quality control too. Uh, and that's, uh, that's, that's not, uh, an obvious problem.
0: Yeah, no, for sure. <clears throat> so, I mean, I know that some LLMs, I mean, these are like more public facing LLMs, right? Like everyone's using it. They use like a user score, like, okay, was this a good, was this a good answer? Was this not a good answer? So on and so forth. Do you guys use something like that? Or do you guys, I, I'm sure there's more to that, but I mean, is that, is that if if you're starting something, is that a good place to start at least?
1: Yeah, this is, this is the most uh, obvious way to start. It's what OpenAI did to fine-tune um, to, to do to build chat Uh You know, it's called RLHF, uh, reinforcement learning with human feedback. And so um, the system would generate two answers as a chat, and you you just have to make a decision as a human: do you prefer one or two? And this is this this is feedback. And we'll be we'll fine tune the the system whose whose foundation is GPT four or three, um, and so the same approach works. Uh, but it can, what's harder for like medical application, it's that first you need physicians to do that, so it's very expensive, <laughs> and you know compared to just training like random chats, uh, like everyone can do, uh, and to make a decision. I give you two medical notes. How can you, you're a physician, but you, you need to have all the, the consultation in, in mind, you know? So you would, in, ideally you would have to listen like to 20 minutes of audio, and then you can give me one data that I point, okay, is this better or not? And then another physician will disagree with you. So it's really like a nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, um, and this is our job. So it's, I, I think it's a nightmare, but we like it, uh, but, the, 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 yeah, there are many changes when you try to uh, use AI for in healthcare. It's, on one side, it's extremely powerful, and definitely there are so many problems we could not solve before LLMs. Um, but on the other hand, uh, it, it power comes with, with dangers, and you need a very, a very disciplined approach to, make, to avoid making mistakes.
0: Yeah, no, one hundred percent. And I think that it sounds like you know when you're creating an if you're if you're coming down this pathway of machine learning and AI and healthcare, you need to put up guardrails, right? Like, like there has to be something. Like you can't just let it go wild and do whatever. How, I'm a, how do you guys decide where those guardrails are?
1: We so so first so we have specific models who like fact that fact check the output of the lens, and so try to find the source. In, in the In the transcript uh, and and decide, okay we are not sure about this, we prefer to remove it so the, you, you have the, from a technical standpoint this kind of adversarial approach where two models are fighting each other and trying to fact fact check each other it, it's just a, an image, but it the cursor I found uh, it's actually quite efficient and uh, so you, you you can remove like m- most of the things you are not sure about with that. And then the final, the final answer is not technical, it's, a, it's on the product UX. Um, you really have to make it clear for users that this is a suggestion, they need to read it, it's easy to read because it's very concise, it's very summarized, and it's typically uh, organized in bullet, um, bullet points. So, but it's still, it's, a, it's, a, it's like I, I tell them, you know, it's like a super-powered autocomplete tool. If Gmail, you're writing an email, you have a suggestion, you are in charge to decide uh, if you want to to accept it with tab or not. You cannot send a random thing to your friend with insult and then tell them, oh, sorry, it was Gmail suggestion. So I, 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 I took them and it's it's exactly the same. So our, our job is to write a, a documentation so that physicians um, uh, save, save time and have less stress. But at the end of the day, they, they we don't click submit on their behalf, they will—they uh, have to read it through and, and and verify. And in in most cases, they don't have to change anything, but still, they should do this uh, this verification.
0: I mean, I can talk about uh, this getting the nitty gritty of AI and ML, but uh, let's move on a little bit. Uh, so you had mentioned so you create the note, right? And then you also create uh, referral notes, uh, anything that insurance needs, whatever. Um, is that something that happens automatically or is, or like, let's say like you, or is it something that I have to like, oh, can you create this, this, and this? So
1: uh, for the moment you have to say, okay, please, please generate this and this and this, uh, as we get more and more, so all these things are really new. You know, we launched a product, so we worked on it for three years and we launched it seven months ago. So it's a, it's a, it's still a new and um it, w- once we'll be really uh we have e- enough confidence that w- when these things are needed and that the quality is really good it could be it could be automatically uh, generated um so um re- so we are getting closer uh to
0: that very cool and then um i had a question i completely forgot about it um Oh uh, this is the question i had so how how are, how has the feedback been uh you know it, it's a i mean seven months in startup world is like years right but how how has it been i know you guys i know you guys have onboarded customers and such but how how has the reception been for you guys
1: so the reception is incredible and that's the best thing that can happen to us entrepreneurs you know it's not it's not uh you make money or you're proud to have a press article about you because you find you raised the X millions. The best thing is when your users actually messaging you to say, it's incredible. My life has changed. And uh, we are very lucky because this product is very emotional. Uh, physicians are in such a pain because of you know, having to do all these, uh, these things that when they see it the first time many of them feel oh wow it's really like magic my life has changed I, i'm not i'm not exaggerating you can go on our website we have lots of testimonials uh and so we, we actually uh because we ask feedback to the to the user at the end of every consultation and in about almost 10 percent of the consultations they give us some a quick you know a few words of feedback and so we have incredible uh f- feedback and and most of it is Okay, I it removes the stress from my life. I I I was about to, you know, in burnout and now I, I, I feel really good. This is the reason I have more time to spend with my kids. You know, we we have this kind of thing every almost every day. Uh so s- some people speak about pure productivity. Okay, I saved seven minutes per consultation. But I mean the the, the the biggest feedback we have is once st- one one layer above this is <laughs> and that's why we chose for for the uh next to our company name on our website we write enjoy care again uh because this is really the what what people uh, feel
0: Yeah no I mean that's amazing and I can definitely uh sympathize with that I think that um if something like this existed while I was in clinical medicine it would have been like game changing honestly and I know I'm not saying that because you're on the call with me and I think we've spoken about this off offline as well like when you guys were telling me about it uh, and I was like, man, this is amazing. So um, how has the reception been? H- has anyone talked to you about the reception from the patients? Because it is a completely different workflow for them as well, right? Because usually you're used to the doctor, just but now they're putting out some sort of device. Let's say the phone in this case is sitting there. And uh, how has that been? Has there been any pushback from that end?
1: So I, I've attended to uh, hundreds of consultations in, in, in the U.S. recently. and. I, I, so I, I personally never seen any patient refusing to, to use that because the doctors ask for for their consent before. I think it's important. So in 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 uh, I never seen any patient refusing that. that I think they trust their doctors. So maybe I was in a, a specific settings, but and then it's really interesting. So so the phone is not in the middle. They really put the phone mm-hmm. on, on a, in a corner of the exam room, so that everybody forgets about this. After nobody's looking at the phone, you know, so it's really transparent, which I think is a good sign of good technology when you forget that it's here um, and so two two things one one thing we expected is that many patients are excited that their doctor is using something uh, like ai very you know new technology powerful for them so they, they feel valued <laughs> by, by that uh, and there are more there are I never seen patients worried about the fact that it's capturing audio. So, you know, we tell them it doesn't record, but would, would they trust, they tend to trust the doctor and, and um, excited that new technology is used for them. This is the first uh, thing. And the second thing uh, in terms of patients that we was a total surprise is we figure, uh, doctors quickly figured out that when they do physical exam, if they don't verbalize the exam, it won't be captured in the note. Of course, there is no camera. We are we are mm-hmm. just getting audio. So if it's silent, we cannot guess uh, what's happening. And so they, without any instructions from, from ourselves, and that, you know, there is no training, no, no documentation, it's very easy to use. So but they, they figure out that if they verbalize what they are doing, like I'm doing exam X, uh, exam Y is normal. I'm looking at this muscle. I'm touching this, and and blah blah blah. And so they, they will verbalize more and more because it's perfectly then captured in the note, and they don't have to add it. And and the, the impact of this verbalization on patients, they 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 feel really good <laughs> because they, they think well, they feel they have the perception that the, the the exam is more is deeper, very technical, very serious, and so. The same gesture from from the doctor with with or without verbalization is perceived differently uh, by by patients, and so uh, we, we uh, it was funny to see that uh, this side effect on patients that we did not expect at all but seems to be uh, quite powerful.
0: Yeah, no, I I actually no, I didn't even think about that, and then when you started talking, I'm like, oh, that makes complete sense because. Uh, one thing with uh patients that you know I've heard many times is they just don't know what's going on, right? Like they know, like a lot of times you don't get told like what your blood pressure is, your temperature, whatever it happens to be, might all be normal, but you just don't know. So not only yeah, you're you're seeing what the doctor's doing or the nurse is doing, and like they're working through it, so you're actually physically seeing you're actually physically hearing them do something, but then also on top of that they are they also under they're also knowing right right then and there like what's happening with them like everything is good and then you know that gives brings it like a calm thing to you or if something's not right you know they can address it right then and there um no that's actually it's surprising but it it makes complete sense
1: and something else we we've done in the same um in same id is um we also generate uh, what we call patient instructions uh, so it's, a, it's not like the clinical note with technical vocabulary, ICD-10 code, and everything. It's really meant for the patient. Uh, so some, some people also call this after visit summary, ABS, mm-hmm. and it's a very detailed, extensive uh, instruction, set of instructions for patients, summarizing what has been said in the in the visit, what, how they should take the treatment. What what side effects they should be aware of? Uh, in, in should when should they call back or come back? You know, depending on the evolution of the illness, and so it can be like two pages long, very very detailed. And uh, same thing, we ask the doctor to quickly check that it's correct, but then they can share this by uh, you know send a message uh, with the patient, and it has a huge impact both on patient outcome because they will the, the adherence to treatment will, will really increase with that. Um, and also limit the chance that patients, you know, we call back for for very basic questions, very very simple things, the next day. And then this is the kind of thing that that doctors hate when when they are buried with low value messages or or the or um, emails, you know, voice messages. And so it, it will also decrease the chance of of uh, useless uh, incoming contacts in the uh, next days um so yeah these patient instructions are quite uh interesting in this regard
0: yeah no i'm glad you brought that up because that was the next question i wanted to ask you was about the patient instructions. so <coughs> sorry. um are they uh a summary of the note and you had also mentioned that there's other instructions so how, how are you guys pulling in those um other instructions in
1: uh you mean for, for the patients or? Yeah,
0: yeah the patient instructions yeah
1: yeah, so so we just same same principle. We just uh, doctors tend to to give a quick, you know, a quick summary of these instructions to patients uh, verbally, uh, and then we we capture that and and just say it, expand like a little bit like macro expansion, make it very detailed and and step by step. But we still rely on the doctor to 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 give these instructions. We are not trying to to guess this uh, at least at the moment. Okay,
0: and and this might be a dumb question, but so how is, and, and and it might just be it just knows, but like, how does it know like a patient instruction is happening? Is it just going by the context of it or do I have to verbally verbalize like, hey, these are the patient instructions? Like, how does that work?
1: Well, everything is guessed from the context. And this is where, where I think the tech is powerful. Uh, yeah, it really gets from the context that that that's uh, clearly an instruction. And we know, and this is a part of LLMs so how to expand. This is like yeah, like a simple few words instruction into uh, four bullet points, and, yeah, detailed uh, sentences yeah that's... so there are, there are a lot of superpowers I think we are just uh, scratching the surface of what can be done uh, we are something like that patient instructions we discovered when one physician asks us, "Oh, could we do that It's a good idea, let's try. And, we worked a few weeks on it and it, 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 it it's working perfectly and now we are rolling out to everyone uh so I think many more uh things like that will uh, emerge in the coming months it's it's a very exciting yeah no, something no. else that came like that is uh, uh patient asking uh, physicians asking, okay I do lots of consultations in spanish you know in california and I would like but I have to document this in english because it's a, it's a and could we uh, listen to Spanish, but actually generate English, and we worked on that, it took us uh, about a month, and now it, it's working well. So we have this uh, new support power to be able to understand uh, Spanish-speaking uh, consultations and work with this in input. Uh, I, re- I also really like this kind of, uh, of stuff
0: yeah no that's amazing uh is there anything i'm sure i mean uh, you, you, you can answer this question or not but is uh, like on your roadmap is there anything with languages like you know like maybe get sending the the patient instruction in spanish as well like you know if it's a spanish-speaking person
1: yeah yeah we, we do that already okay nice uh we do that already and i think the uh, we, we started the co-pilot on uh, the physician side ai but i think the patient facing uh, you know, if you if, if I'm your medical assistant, I'm really good. At some point, you, you 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 will want me to do things with patients, not as a doctor, of course, but to help facilitate engagement. And this is exactly, I think, in our roadmap, a very important part will be patient facing uh, to to uh, facilitate the physicians' workflow.
0: Very nice. Very nice. Um... So how is so uh, you know we've been talking about the product you know uh, Copilot is the name the specific name of it uh, how so let's say a, you know piece I'm interested in it like I want to get it into my clinic or hospital what is the process of of getting started and getting onboarded?
1: The process is ten seconds. <laughs> we worked a lot for that. Uh, you um, you you would go to nabla.com n a b l a dot com. Uh, and you can you can try the product without sign, any sign up. Uh, you can there is a web uh, web app version of it, so on uh, any mobile phone uh, you can use it in a 14 in person consultation on your phone, and you can see the results and if it fits your workflow or not. So we may we may, we worked a lot to make it super easy to evaluate, and it's free uh, up to thirty consultations per month. So we want every healthcare professional to be able to very easily uh, evaluate if it works for them or not. Uh, and we don't store, again, on our side, we don't store any data. So the audio, the transcript, the note, once you've copy-pasted the note into your medical record, uh, we, we just uh, forget everything. It's it's a stateless machine, so we we made everything so that it's easier for, you know, instead of spending money in, in ads and marketing and salespeople, we prefer to have a this like PLG product-led growth motion where we just show the product and have people try it. Um, if you do video visits, we have a Chrome extension, uh, so it can plug into any um, any uh, remote consultation tool you may use as 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 long as it's web-based. It even works in in Zoom or in in uh, Teams uh, or in uh, Google Meet. And uh, so it's always an add-on. We are not trying to replace uh, the, the EHR, you know, the Epic and the Seller and the whole, uh, of the worlds. We are trying to add, add something on top of them uh, to help physicians. Okay.
0: And then, uh, and then you had mentioned earlier that you guys are integrated with the EHRs. Um, how long does that, A, what is that integration? And then how long does that integration take?
1: So the, the perfect integration is when we are fully transparent. You just have a, a start button in, in the EHR directly. Uh, and when, so you really have nothing to change, you know, uh, compared to the way you work today. You, you, are, you are on the patient record in the EHR. There is a small start button powered by NABLA. You click on it and it will start recording, listening to the consultation. And then at the end, fill all the fields, you know, including structured fields, and everything you need to fill in the EHR will be automatically filled. Uh, So this is an integration where we are almost transparent because you just want your EHR to be filled. Um, And we are, um, for instance, a next gen, uh, a large EHR with 70,000 physicians, I think, uh, just announced um, uh, something they call ambient assist, which is powered by NABLA and it's perfectly integrated into the EHR. Uh, In some cases, we have a lighter integration where at the end of the consultation, uh, we, so you, sti- you still use Nabla on your phone or as an extension, and at the end, it will automatically, through the API, create the note, so you don't have to do any copy-paste. So this is like a lighter integration that we are doing for many, many uh, EHRs. And then, and then there are situations where we don't know about your EHR yet, so you discover Nabla, uh, you don't have. We don't have any integration, and you p- people start by just copying and pasting, which is not ideal. But it still saves a lot of time, and so we have lots of physicians who are using it in this way. And then, as they use it more and more, they end up, you know, contacting us and uh, asking for an integration. And then we do the integration. So we we discover the integrations to do uh, in a bottom-up uh, manner like this.
0: Yeah, and the one thing that I I appreciate about you guys is uh, you can tell that you really are listening to the end user. You're not just like heads down. Oh, we know what you want. That's, that's, that's a problem that we see sometimes in the health tech community is, you know, you mentioned many times that, you know, our customers reach out to us and then we look into it and, you know, we, we get the, we, we get them testing in a month or two or whatever it happens to be. Um, and, you know, even, you know, even with this, like I, I, and, and coming from the, my side, like on the other side uh of it, 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 it's refreshing because a lot of times we're just told what to do, not necessarily asked <laughs> how should we do this. And I just wanted to put that out there and say, you know, I appreciate uh, your you and your team's mindset around uh, creating these products.
1: Yeah, this is uh, definitely um, another advantage of PLG motion, you know, product-led growth, where you go bottom up. It's almost grassroots strategy where you, you we're not trying to talk to the top of the companies first health systems or we are we are starting with the physicians and uh, and have them a way a simple way as i described to just try by themselves and then they become our champions internally and this is how we do enterprise sales Uh, so we start from the bottom i'm a big believer in this um, go-to-market strategy which has been very very effective in almost all industries but but healthcare i think we are the first to my knowledge maybe you know, to try really do this in healthcare with, with uh, and it's very successful so far. Um, and so, and one advantage, one side advantage uh, is that you are creating a community of physicians. Some of them use it for free, but I don't care because they, they talk to us every day. <laughs> they feel really part of the, of the group. Uh, and we can, yeah, we, we got to this level of accuracy that I mentioned. We are supporting almost all specialties uh and we are developing these new exciting features just we can do that only because we have this community of users who feel very close to us and it wouldn't be the same feeling if they had like a purchase department telling them you need to you should use this tool you know and, and that's it uh starting from them also creates this kind of community which is key to especially for this kind of product which is again a very subjective product very emotional it's not a building tool that works yes or no it's uh, you, we need to be very close to our users to uh, to improve this kind of tech.
0: Yeah, I mean, product-led growth is a very powerful strategy. I mean, we see, like you said, you see it in almost every vertical. And the one key thing to product product-led growth is just that um, your customers are your marketing, right? They they become so passionate about it that they make you know they bring in their colleagues, whatever. Eventually, it gets to a it gets to a tipping point where management can't. Um, they can't ignore it anymore. They're like, okay, well, exactly. 70 to 80% of our staff is using this. They're loving it. Um, some, in in, in some cases, you know, a lot, in, in, like, in, like you were saying, like, you know, some people are just on the free version and they're just telling their colleagues, whatever medical, the medical community is a very small community. And I agree with you. I don't know why, uh, the product led growth uh, mindset has not permeated through healthcare because to me, it makes sense because we are a very small community. As and, and, and that might sound weird, because there's so many of us out there. But generally speaking, we all talk to each other. We all give each other tips and whatever. You know, we're all dealing with the same thing. So if somebody finds something like, "Hey, this works really well," it's generally spread throughout your network very quickly.
1: Yeah, I think the reason is for, for most products, it's not possible. It's just not possible. Let's say you are in EHR. How, how do you? You cannot tell a physician, okay. Work on a different EHR. You know your hospital is on Epic. You (laughs) you will use something on the side. It's not possible. And so, so as you say, as you know better than I do, healthcare it's such an intricate, intricated world of interconnected systems. and It's so complex. In many, in most cases, I think it's not really possible, unfortunately, to have individual physicians or healthcare professionals decide. Mm -hmm. Okay, I will try this part because it's it's. It's just too integrated and too, um, but in, in, in the case of uh, this AI assistant and that is starting with AI documentation, it, it's possible. And so that's why we, um, we, we made this decision.
0: Yeah, no, I, I think it's a great decision personally. Um, but so you had mentioned that, you know, the landscape of AI and ML is kind of, um, it's very uh, crowded, right? I mean, it's crowded in this. I'm doing air quotes crowded because, you know, uh, many of these are smoke and mirrors, right? We're finding out many things like with these unicorn companies that were AI companies that were using like spreadsheets in the back end, all these (laughs) other things. Uh, You guys can just Google it. You guys will find it pretty easily. But I mean, as a customer, what are the questions that we should be asking? Cause you know, like a lot of us don't know, right? We just see AI and ML, we just think magic, right? Like what should a customer be looking for in an AI ML company?
1: So, one one question first, especially in in healthcare, should be what happens to my data? Um, you know, if I were a, a physician, I would never accept that the, the audio or even just the transcription of my consultations are stored somewhere and used for training some other systems. And maybe one day the company is bankrupt and it's it's acquired by a company overseas. You know, you really don't want to to leave this uh, and and. I think the first question should be about uh, privacy and data. Uh, and as a physician, it's not just your data, it's also your patient's data. So you have, I think you have a double responsibility uh, to ask this question. Um, and, and then, yeah, the second question is, uh, is about safety and accuracy. You know, uh, The question you asked me <laughs> today, which is, um, what is the measure, what, what, how do you measure it? Uh, who measures it? And what is the level today? What prevents from um, big mistakes from happening? And I think the more you understand how it works internally, uh, even if you, you know, you're not maybe not a computer scientist, you can redo it by yourself, but the more you understand the different layers, for instance, the, the better it is, because you will have an idea of what are the good things. I don't think tools in general are good or bad. It's just every tool, is good for some use cases and bad for others and you need as a user you need to understand this and just know where you are in this uh, spectrum and so that's why i'm advocating for uh, everyone you know starting at school uh and then if you're already out of school it's never too late but to really learn about machine learning there are lots of great content on youtube or uh, anywhere uh and instead of you know looking at sales presentation done by people who themselves don't understand anything, but, they, but, but some company told them, you should sell say AI to sell your product, uh, j- just, uh, have a, like, a, a little bit of culture of how it works. Uh, it's fascinating. And then it will help everyone to decide by themselves. Okay. Is my use case a good one for, or for this, this tool uh, or not?
0: Yeah, no, I a hundred percent agree with you. And then also. It also helps you understand the limitations, right? Like I said, right now, people think AI ML is going to solve every problem. I'm just going to, I can just sit there, you know, drinking my whatever. It's going to do everything for me. And in reality, uh, maybe in the future, you know, when we get older, like we're in, in, you know, senior citizens, they could get that at that point, but it's not there yet. You know, we had, we were just talking about how long it took you guys who are focused in this, you know, have a huge background in it. It still took you guys three plus years uh, to train something for medicine. And you guys are continuously having to, keep training it you haven't stopped training it I think that's one thing that people need to realize it wasn't just stopped at that three years but it took three years to get to a point where you were you were comfortable enough Please. to to yeah. to get it out there
1: yeah exactly yeah
0: but um but uh the last question I do want to ask uh you is uh and this is a question that I started asking a little bit after uh, our episode was you know uh you have a amazing background um what advice would you have given yourself before you kind of got into the medical world
1: <laughs> Don't go there no <laughs> no, I knew you know I knew it go to market is so difficult in healthcare. I knew it, and actually I've been fascinated by healthcare forever, but my first startup I felt I'm not ready. Second startup, I felt I'm not ready, and only at the third one with a good track record and a good team and good investors, uh I felt okay now we are maybe ready <laughs> to try uh so um yeah i I think one of the mistakes we've done initially um it took us about 12 months to start to actually work with physicians and i i should have spent you know from day one all my time meeting physicians we've done it but not enough Uh, and i think the best way to start is to really partner Closely, closely partner with a, a small team of physicians, like a one pra- small practice or a small team in a in a big uh, system, and next sit 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 next to them and say okay, observe them all day and say okay, what can I do for you? What can we do for you? Even if the problem looks very small, we should start with actual uh, practical things from day one with a small team of physicians who are passionate about you know improving improving things. Um, I think in, in my case, in our case, we spent too much time initially in uh, thinking in, in the theoretically high level. Uh, of course, we are meeting physicians and so on, but we should have done this uh, more. And then when we felt that the only way was to be our first users, we, we created our own uh, virtual care primary, uh, primary care app. Uh, and it was it took a lot of resources and time to do that. And again, looking now, I sh- I think we should have selected one partner, like a like a medical primary care practice, and and worked with them. And we 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 tried to find a partner like that. And then after some time, we gave up and said, say, let's do it ourselves. <laughs> we don't have time. but I think it's it's a mistake. We should have spent more time to select from day one uh, a very very close partner. And now now four years into NABLA, we ha- we do have very very close partners in the practices and 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 very big you know health systems in the US, uh, like either. But we and we we can do really cool things with them. Uh, but we should have spent more time initially uh, on this.
0: Yeah, no, and um, I I think that if everyone didn't have something that they could change, then you know yeah. <laughs> we we would all be. I mean, perfection is something that we all strive for, but just never I don't think ever achieve. But we're all striving for it. So I think you guys are doing perfectly fine, uh, even with what you call some mistakes i don't think they're huge mistakes but uh if somebody wants to get a hold of you what is the best way of doing that
1: um just uh you know go on nabla.com uh there is a contact form or email me at alex at nabla.com or uh invite me on linkedin all channels are open
0: yeah no well alex i I really enjoy talking to you for, you know, you, you can get into the very technical details and also you are very, uh, you I, you know, you're one of the few people that are in the space that really truly understand the plight of the clinician. And so I really enjoy our conversations. Um, and thank you again for coming back on. And, you know, I wish you guys nothing but the best.
1: Thank you very much. Andrew. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. Yeah.